Well, I'm going to preach for the next three Sundays a short series of three sermons from the book of Matthew, and I've entitled the series, There Are Predictable Liabilities in Discerning the Supernatural. And this is what I mean by that statement. The predictable liabilities of following Christ will cost you everything now. But you gain far more than you give up. You give up dirt for diamonds. The predictable liabilities of denying Christ is that you think the dirt you found is actually a diamond mine. So all three sermons are going to focus on some ideas about understanding the supernatural. And I hope to demonstrate the truth of that statement that I just made to you. Today I want to look at part one of the series, Matthew seven thirteen to 14. And Jesus' challenge for all people who desire to enter the kingdom of God to be a discerning people. Be the kind of people that show good judgment and insight when it comes to understanding the reality of spiritual truths. And it's important to be discerning because there are serious implications in the failure to properly discern spiritual truths. And we're going to see that this morning as we unfold the, texture, the text here. In part two next week, we'll consider two individuals from Matthew chapter 8 who clearly understood and discerned the importance of recognizing Jesus' power and authority in his teaching and healing. And the serious consequences for those who fail to recognize Jesus' power and authority. And finally, in part three, we'll consider the importance of spiritual discernment in the observation of divine miracles in Matthew 14. Something is supposed to happen to us as we observe miracles. So this morning we're looking at the liabilities in being a discerning people. Let me read the text for you, Matthew seven thirteen to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Well, there it is, the single shining pearl of Christian theology, in proverbial form, spoken with clarity and simplicity and certainty and authority. There is no compromise here. There's only ultimatum. Use spiritual discernment and recognize that Jesus is the narrow gate that leads to eternal life. It's an ultimatum that few will believe and trust in and enter through that leads to their eternal blessedness. But it's also an ultimatum that many will refuse to believe that will lead to their destruction. This is the ultimatum Jesus is challenging his hearers to be discerning about. Our attitude towards Jesus the Messiah determines our eternal destination, and we'll see that in the next two sermons as well. Jesus said here that there is a way of life, a course of action, a lack of discernment that leads to destruction, ruin, and loss. 
Particularly, this is a spiritual destruction, the loss of eternal life. This failure to be discerning results in an eternal misery. It is the lot of those who exclude themselves from the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus had been teaching about the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God, since the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And as he began to teach the crowds that had gathered to hear him, he described for them what the people who desire to enter this kingdom ought to be like. They must be a people with the ability to discern and pursue spiritual truth now in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, Jesus sets this up in a curious way. You'll note that I have an outline for you. At the end of chapter 6, Jesus had said, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. And then he said something very curious. He said, Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Each day, in other words, is adequate to bring its own vice, its own wickedness or malice, its own vicious disposition. Each day is capable of perverting virtue and morality to some evil end. And then we discover that he's not really talking about the day. He's talking about people who are living in the day. The word translated trouble, kakia, you wouldn't really know this unless you'd spent some time looking at some of the lexicons, refers to the wickedness or depravity of the mind which is opposed in some way to humanity and is the human tendency toward malicious behavior. That's the trouble. We can tend to be malicious towards other people. This trouble is that place from which springs our malicious behavior. This trouble speaks to the habit of evil-mindedness, the tendency to put the worst spin on everything. It refers to a really deep-seated negative disposition. Kakia is at the heart of what it means to be depraved because it denotes a vicious disposition or desire within us to injure others. And so with the statement, sufficient for the day is its own trouble, Jesus is making a segue into chapter 7 by mentioning the things to be cautious of if you're desiring to enter the kingdom of God. Be discerning about these character traits within yourself. It is a caution to recognize the level of the misery and sinfulness found in human life and what precepts we must follow so that we might learn how we are to live in such a fallen and sinful world and among others who are sinful like ourselves. And foremost in these precepts is the continuing caution to discern hypocrisy in ourselves and others and how important it is for kingdom citizens to learn to be a discerning people about pretentiousness and hypocrisy. I think these passages in Matthew chapter 7 are connected and they need to be understood in context so that we have a clear picture 
of the sense and meaning of the verses we're considering this morning, verses 13 and 14. So let me take a moment to explain for you how I'm thinking through how these all are connected. Jesus said at the beginning of chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And I've always understood Jesus' command to judge not to be a principle more than a specific rule. The principle is that we are not to judge hypocritically, using our own self-righteousness in judgment, seeing as how he's just reminded us of the misery and sinfulness we need to be careful of. Or perhaps he means, don't judge your sinful brothers in anger, uh, finding it easy to find fault in condemning others. That's what the Pharisees did that he was railing against at the beginning of the sermon. And he says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And the point seemed to be, don't try to correct others when you need spiritual correction far more yourself. First, be discerning about your own tendencies toward spiritual sinfulness. Then in verse 6 of chapter 7, Jesus had begun with this strange warning. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. We know that Jesus wasn't saying that we aren't to use any kind of judgments of any kind ever. That's the mistake every unbeliever makes in Facebook discussion groups day after day. Because of the obvious judgmental reference to dogs and swine that he uses here. The supposed insulting comment about dogs and swine suggests that we be discerning about whom we're deciding to share the gospel with. A dog is a derogatory term for someone with an impure mind, an impudent man, a shameless and irreverent person. He suggests that we recognize the potential response of certain sinful individuals who, after the gospel has been shared with them correctly and preached to them correctly, they retain a vicious nature towards God's gospel truth. Now just remember as an aside that the gospel does one of two things to the human heart. It has the power to harden the heart against the truth, and it has the power to call the heart to trust the truth. You remember 1 Corinthians 1.18 and following. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, 
yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. And so the gospel indeed has power. Those to whom it is calling to partake of salvation receive the gospel with joy. And to those whose response to the gospel is that it is only foolishness, it has a hardening effect on their heart, which hardening will ultimately lead the hearer towards perishing and being consigned to eternal misery. This is why this is so important to be a discerning people. Dogs and swine represent people who live indecent and impure lives, often in incurable ungodliness. And we are to make a judgment call, be discerning as to who they are, as to their ability or inability to accept and receive the truth of the gospel. Do not give what is sacred to dogs. What is sacred in Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. Dogs and swine refer to any persons who have given clear evidence of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and hardened contempt. You wouldn't want to give what is holy to dogs. You have to be able to discern that some truths are not fit for dogs and swine because there is a risk of them desecrating the divine truth of the gospel. Pearls were the costliest of all jewels, which symbolized the preciousness of the divine truth of the gospel. Therefore, you may need to approach some people with caution to keep some truths hidden from dogs and swine. And this is exactly what Jesus was doing throughout the gospels in teaching with parables. Everyone wasn't meant to discern what was being said there. And so there are some who are unfit and insensitive to divine truth. And if they receive that truth improperly, they may be inclined to trample those truths underfoot and turn and tear you apart because they aren't sensible enough to understand it. Here the swine will turn and tear you apart, much like the false prophets who are voracious wolves ready to eat you up spiritually that Jesus mentions beginning in verse 15 of this chapter 7. And so it seems that the more important idea here is that we have our senses intact to discern between good and evil in ourselves and in others. We need to be sensitive to our own conscience to have a sound knowledge of ourselves so our judgment of others is sound. So in context, be careful correcting others when you need spiritual correction. But don't be so spiritually ignorant that you have no insight into the kind of characters you're dealing with. Dogs and swine judge divine truth with ignorance and suspicion. And they may be among those who hear Jesus' words about entering the narrow gate that he's going to begin teaching. Hearing Jesus' words with ignorance and suspicion can end in a long-standing feeling of bitterness and resentment and animosity in the hearer toward the gospel. 
And so be aware that sharing divine truths with some men can make them become uncivil and insensible after hearing these truths. You have to offer swine swine food. And you have to offer dogs dog food because the gospel doesn't suit their taste. So be discerning about the people that you're dealing with and your own spiritual tendency to be hypocritical. But also know that it's not the pearls of truth that you set out that cause their contempt, but the fact that these hearers are dogs and swine. And when the pearl is trampled under their feet, it's not trampled because there's something hateful in the gospel, but because its truth fell among dogs and swine. So whatever judgment you use in your discernment while living in this sinful world, I think Jesus is saying, it must be a careful and thoughtful judgment. Judging between men who are evil and men who are good. A discernment that allows you to distinguish between the dogs and them that are not dogs. So there may be a real genuine spiritual conflict among some of the people that you might share truth with. So use discernment to determine those whom you should avoid. And I'm thinking Jesus is perhaps thinking, and while you're learning to think clearly about using discernment in the things I'm saying, be careful to think through how the responses people take toward me will affect their eternal destiny. Be careful what you do with the things that I say to you. Be aware of people who are pretentious hypocrites who want to deceive you regarding the things that I'm going to be teaching you. Because I'm going to tell you some things now that will require you to be very discerning about your own choices and be discerning about the choices that others make that might deceive you about the exclusive life I'm now going to call you to. So that's how I'm processing the context of the beginning of chapter 7. So let's talk about the narrowness that Jesus is calling people to. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. And so Jesus had been describing to his listeners some of the costs to enter the kingdom of God. His hearers are to look at the type and kind of life that he's calling them to and to realize the seriousness of what that call entails. And the thing that should awaken our senses about the kind of life that he's calling us to is its narrowness. He's calling men to enter the narrow gate, the gate of narrow straits, and to follow him. Let's look at a couple of the ways he demands narrowness of his followers. He says, enter through the narrow gate and come unto me. 
And so we understand the clarity of that statement. There are no others that we should be following. And then he says, come unto me. And when we come, he says, follow me. And we may hesitate, and then we may begin to decide, are we going to choose this narrow way? And if we believe him, then this is the only way we're going to go. And when he says, abide in me, we realize that we are to come and to follow and remain in him. And it begins to occur to us that everything that he asks us has to be this narrow and this limited. He said, whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. We begin to understand that to be his disciple means we need to believe him when he says, I am the explicit truth. I am the explicit way. I am the explicit life. No one comes to the Father unless they come through me. That is explicit. John chapter 14, verse 6. For unless you believe that I am him, you shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. The apostle Peter echoed these words, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 And it's the united testimony of the New Testament that no one can know God the Father except through the person of Jesus Christ who reveals the Father. This is how narrow your discernment must be, he's saying. Every living person is going to choose to enter one or the other of these two gates sometime during their life. Where the choice to enter one gate will end in spiritual destruction, and the choice to enter the other gate will lead to a blessed eternal life. That's how critical Jesus' uncompromising ultimatum is to be a discerning people. So let's think about what you must leave behind before you enter this gate. Now you know, I've been sitting under Rob's teaching for years probably, we don't get into the kingdom because we just get lucky. It's really more like we're just going about life and suddenly we find the reality of two gates confronting us. So what do we leave behind? Well, the first thing we leave behind is the misunderstanding of who God is. One of the gates is narrow. There are only a few who find it. The narrow road is the way along which I want you to walk, Jesus is saying. Throughout the sermon, he's been saying that the kingdom is for those who seek it with hearts that are truly focused on the reality of the person of God. God is to be understood as your Father, he said in the Lord's Prayer who hears you when you pray to him, who knows what you need, who expects you to trust him in all things. You can't enter the kingdom without first believing that God is who Jesus says he is. You have to acknowledge the reality of who God is and then trust in him 
as he is revealed to you. The second thing you leave behind is the sins of pretense and hypocrisy. And Jesus had gone into no small amount of detail to tell us that approaching God with any kind of pretense and hypocrisy automatically disqualifies you from entering the kingdom. He said throughout 5 and 6. You have to leave behind any pretense and hypocrisy when you enter through the narrow gate to follow Jesus. Why do we know that? Because pretentious and hypocritical people aren't broken over their sinfulness. There's a certain amount of agonizing about our sinfulness that has to take place to enter into the gate to the kingdom. The kingdom is for those who mourn in meekness, he said at the beginning of the sermon. For those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. For those who are broken in spirit and long for God to forgive them. You have to go through the narrow gate by yourself, agonizing over your sinfulness after you've correctly assessed who you really are and who God really is. You can't take those misconceptions with you through the narrow gate. You alone are responsible before God. He is your eternal judge, and before you enter the narrow gate, you need to come face to face with his person and his judgment. And it's only when you've seen the true character of God and the true character of yourself and come with a broken spirit of repentance that you can enter into the kingdom through the narrow gate. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the true nature of miracles was to bring about repentance because you realize and recognize that you're in the presence of the divine. And if you aren't willing to enter through Jesus, the narrow gate, you're going to be among the many who will enter the broad and easy gate that leads to destruction. So he's saying, gain the wisdom of discernment. Use discernment to understand spiritual truths. Thirdly, you need to leave behind any worldview that denies God. Another thing you have to leave outside the narrow gate is worldliness. By walking through the narrow gate, you are breaking away from the world. You're heading in a direction that's different from the crowd. That's different from the vast majority of most people's worldview. You have to leave the way of the crowd, the worldview of the crowd. You have to begin to struggle to leave behind the things that please the world. You must recognize and leave behind the things you did to please your fallen nature. You'll notice that in our passage this morning, there are two gates, two roads, two destinations, two groups of people labeled as the few and the many. The few enter the gate that leads to life. The many enter the gate that leads to destruction. It's very clear. And as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the last few verses, you see that there are two builders, two houses, 
to foundations. And you know what? Honestly, the Bible distinctly clarifies only two classes of people. Just two. Regenerate and unregenerate. Converted and unconverted. Sheep and goats. Christians and unbelievers. Those in Christ and those outside of Christ. Saved and unsaved. Repentant and unrepentant. Tares and wheat. Sons of God and sons of disobedience. Just two groups. The fourth thing you need to do is to leave behind the worry implied in narrowness. There's an implied difficulty in the word narrow. The narrow way is the straight way, the S-T-R-A-I-T way. This straight isn't the unswerving direction of the road. It refers to the difficulty or the trouble you can expect as you walk that road. It's a gate that leads to potentially dire straits. Jesus commands his disciples, enter in, but know that this narrow gate leads to the straight way. It's difficult and troubling because of the restraints and virtues that it requires of those who enter it. And that is why there are so few who enter it. Here's the difficulty implied in entering the narrow gate. You can't enter the narrow gate clothed with all your sins and your self-righteousness intact. He's been saying that since the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. That's what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. You can't enter in with all your false notions of who Jesus is. You can't bring your immorality and your foolishness about what's true and untrue about God and Jesus with you into the narrow gate. Just hearing the tone of Jesus' words, you realize this is a serious undertaking. These are considerations you must weigh out and consider prior to ever entering the narrow gate. Entrance into the way of the kingdom begins here and now through a small gate onto the narrow way of persecution and opposition that comes to every disciple following Jesus. Remember Paul's exhortation to the early disciples in Acts. We must, through many hardships and tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. It's not an easy walk. Finally, you need to leave behind the majority opinion. Folks, honestly, watch the news. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. There's going to be so much opposition to Jesus and the way of Christianity and walking the narrow path. It's getting worse and worse all the time. Many find the wide gate which is broad. It's an inviting gate. It's spacious and wide, and it can accommodate many, many people. You don't need to leave anything behind when you enter that gate. You can bring in anything you please through the wide gate. The wide and easy gate puts no restriction on immorality or wickedness. 
Many will walk right through the wide, right, wide gate with no discernment or wisdom whatsoever. But it ends in destruction, waste, loss, and utter final ruination, Jesus said. This is the gate that leads to the loss of true and eternal heavenly life, which life begins on earth when one becomes united to Christ by faith, when they understand the truth of what Jesus says. This wide gate leads the way to eternal misery and damnation and perdition and hell. Just look up the words in a lexicon as to what he's saying. And the hopeless destiny of the finality of death. This is the way that appeals to majority opinion. This is the way where each person does what is right in their own eyes. This is the way of the faithless. This way is for all those who are excluded from the kingdom of God. And in spite of this incredible revelation Jesus makes, there are so many who have chosen to enter through the wide and easy gate. Well, think about this with me. We believe the reality of the narrow gate and the broad gate only by revelation. This doesn't come to the natural man observing life. We only know that there are two gates because Jesus has revealed it to us in the Scriptures. It's through revelation that we know that the way of distress and trouble and affliction begins after we pass through the narrow gate and begin to follow Jesus. You remember the recipients of Peter's first epistle were pretty confused because before they came to faith, they hadn't experienced any distress or trouble or affliction from all their friends in the world. Trouble only started for them to happen after they believed, after they walked through the narrow gate and started following Jesus. Then the world said, what are you doing? Wouldn't it be nice if there was a warning sign at the entrance to the narrow or the broad gate? Wouldn't it be nice? Just a warning. Imagine a person standing before a flashing neon sign indicating the entrances to the two gates. What might it say? Stop! You are about to make a critical life choice. This is the narrow gate. It leads to distress and persecution and trouble and affliction during much of your life. Take it if you want to find eternal blessing. What? This is the broad and easy gate. Lots of people are making this choice. This is the way that leads to a life of ease filled with all kinds of pleasures. It's free of restrictions. Truth is whatever your heart decides it is. You can decide what is right and good and important. That's the wide gate. Pass through this broad and easy gate if you want your life to end in destruction and misery. Wow. Wow. 
You can only know if the narrow gate and wide gate are actual choices if you believe that they are a revelation from God. Apart from the revelation of the mind of God in the Scriptures, would you know that there is a way that leads to destruction? No. That's why we believe the Scriptures. We believe what Jesus said and revealed about himself and about who God is. It's by revelation that we recognize that God is calling the disciples of Jesus to follow him at any cost. It's only through revelation that the disciples of Jesus recognize that the only way they will ever be righteous and justified before a holy God is through discovering that Jesus himself is the narrow gate. That's the only way. You won't be righteous because you think you are. So here's another question. How do you know that you'll make it if you decide to walk through that gate? There's a lot more to it as you begin to understand the totality of Scripture. It's also by revelation that God gives his disciples the faith to trust and believe this is the way to eternal life. It's only by revelation that the disciples of Jesus believe and trust that it is God who preserves them along this path of distress and trouble and persecution so that they persevere for their entire life along this path. And so it's only by revelation that we understand that Jesus is confirming for his disciples that there is nothing worse that could befall a man than to enter the broad gate that leads to destruction and misery. There's nothing worse. And that's why only believers are attracted and compelled to enter the narrow gate of persecution, trouble, and affliction that leads to eternal life. And so finally, we want to ask the question, why strive to enter the narrow gate? It's important to recognize the significance in the different tenses that Matthew and Luke use in the teaching about the narrow and the wide gate. In Matthew, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. It's an aorist imperative. It's a command to enter the narrow gate immediately upon recognizing it. And to step through the narrow gate only takes but a moment. Let me give you some examples of that. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching his disciples to petition the Lord in prayer with aorist imperatives. Imperatives are commands, right? So in other words, you could easily say and translate, give us this moment our daily bread. Hallowed be thy name now, God. Thy will be done today. Forgive us our trespasses now and once and for all. So the use of an aorist imperative to enter the narrow gate conveys the sense of urgency, calling for immediate and effective decisions and actions on your part when you discern spiritual truth. Enter the narrow gate now. Don't delay or procrastinate this decision because that failure to discern correctly could end in destruction, he said. 
Don't just nod your head admiring the principles of the Sermon on the Mount. Take me seriously when you hear me say, entering the wrong gate leads to eternal destruction. There's an immediacy in this tense. When used with commands, it's always pressing and urgent. You must enter the gate now upon recognizing it. And so in Luke, Jesus says, strive with earnestness to enter through the narrow gate. It's a present imperative. Keep striving to enter the narrow gate. These two different tenses imply different things. Strive is the word agonizomai, where we get the word agony. Keep struggling, keep fighting, keep endeavoring with strenuous zeal to enter the narrow gate, Luke is saying, that Jesus said. But entering the gate is a one-time event. You walk through the gate and you've entered it. So how should we understand this idea of striving to enter the narrow gate? Well, apparently we're not striving to find it, only to enter it. And Jesus seems to make it clear that the choice of which gate to enter is right in front of you. I think this continued striving that Luke mentions means to keep striving to overcome whatever it is that's keeping you from entering the narrow gate and following Jesus. Identify what they are. Be a discerning people to identify the obstacles in front of you and keep striving to overcome those because the best choice you could possibly make is to enter the narrow gate and follow Jesus. Strive to enter the narrow gate, expecting there to be struggles with dangers and annoyances and obstacles and burdens that are standing in the way of faith and holiness. Now, any list that might include things that could keep us from entering the narrow gate would be hard to exhaust. But let's mention a few of the bigger ones. For example, you might be thinking, what fleshly inclinations keep people from entering the narrow gate? Well, it could be their pride. Proverbs 16.5 says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Check your own prideful heart that keeps you from entering the gate. Could it be their love for sin? Hebrews 12, 1 says, therefore let us lay aside every weight, every heavy burden, every impediment, and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking to Jesus amid all the burdens and the encumbrances and the impediments and the hindrances that surround all of us, all those things that beset us and hinder us from entering the narrow gate. Get discernment to be analyzing those things that are before you that keep you from the narrow gate. I think this striving is a call to discover and then renounce every doubt we carry with us that gets in the way of us entering the gate that follows hard after Jesus. Here are some more questions that might impede 
you're entering the narrow gate? Is it worth it to be obedient to this call? Why are so many people following the broad way if it's the gate that leads to destruction? Is that really fair that so many are going to end in destruction? What kinds of things that I currently love will I have to set aside in order to walk through the narrow gate? Can I persevere under the distress and the persecution and tribulation that I'll find along the way after I enter the narrow gate to follow Jesus? You know, there are lots of religions in the world, people say. How do I know for sure Jesus is the one who's telling the truth? Well, a lot of people said, well, Oprah Winfrey said Jesus is possibly the only way, and she's pretty smart. Those are all things we need to weigh out in our own hearts before we really commit to enter the narrow gate and follow after Jesus. And this is a great evangelism tool, this section, isn't it? Helping people to understand the the necessity of discerning spiritual truth and reality and making a choice that will end in eternal blessing. At the heart of all these questions, you have to believe that what the Bible records Jesus as saying about the narrow and broad way is the truth. You have to carry that idea with you into the narrow gate. If you don't really believe that, then the only alternative for you is to take the road that Jesus says leads to destruction, perishing, and misery. There's only two choices. But remember something. It's man's own sin that hardens his heart against believing the gospel. And since no man is ever excluded from calling upon God, the gate of salvation is open to everyone. There's nothing else to hinder us from entering the narrow gate but our own unbelief. Challenge people with their own sense of unbelief. And finally, in Acts 28, 25, Paul says this to prove that point. The Holy Spirit speaks rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and you shall not understand, and seeing you will see and you will not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. No comment about God preventing someone from coming to him. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts in turn, so that I should heal them. The reason why the way to destruction is so broad is because so few will come to Christ that they may have life choosing rather to perish in their sins. So what is the ultimatum we've been talking about this morning? That our attitude toward Jesus the Messiah determines our eternal destination. And we're going to see this in the next two sermons as well. Because Jesus is the narrow gate, he's also the final arbiter of man's 
destiny. So folks, listen, help your family, help your friends and those who you come in contact with to be discerning about this truth. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that the things that we've said would be taken to our hearts, that we would see the truth of what Jesus has said, how it impacts our life choices and the life choices that every person will make. Father, we ask that you help us to be a more discerning people, to recognize the truth of the gospel and to share that truth with people that you put before us, allowing us to be discerning as to whether or not they can hear the gospel effectively. And Father, for the blessing that you give to each of us and for the faith that you've given us, thank you and help us to be more faithful and a better encouragement to each other as we walk through this life of tribulation and persecution. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.